Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast. I'm Ellie Pyle. And I'm Judy Stevens. And wow, do we have a jam-packed, magical episode today. Seriously, now that Marvel Studios' WandaVision has come to a grand finale, we are looking back at the entire season with some of the incredible women who made it happen. Ellie, I cannot believe what a wild ride Marvel Studios' WandaVision was. There were so many twists and turns, and I will be honest, I may have watched the finale at 3 o'clock in the morning East Coast time, which turned out to be a good decision because, Judy, you had some things spoiled for you, didn't you? Oh man, I'd wake up in the morning and just like memes and questions, and I would just be like, I haven't watched the episode yet. Hold on. So many theories. So Women of Marvel listeners, you know, practice good etiquette of holding your spoilers and your theories to consensual group texts until, you know, a reasonable waiting period. This is all that we ask for all of the Marvel fans out there. There were so many women on and off camera who made this show what it was. And we were so lucky to talk to a bunch of them. So today, we have a truly stacked episode of interviews. Ellie, you talked to a few of these amazing women. Who's up first? First up, I talked to head writer Jack Schaefer because we should start where shows do, in the writer's room. We talked about her approach to the story and how she tapped into the perspectives of characters like Wanda Maximoff. It's just, it's, it's rare when a, an idea just makes it to the screen in a way that is sort of even better than you imagined it. I can't wait for you all to hear this interview, so let's get started. Well, hi, Jack. Welcome to Women of Marvel. I am so excited to talk to you today about Marvel Studios' WandaVision. But what were you most excited about in working on this TV show? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, everything is the short answer. But I think just the opportunity to take two characters who in the MCU are, are kind of self-serious, you know? I mean, the material that that Paul and Lizzie have had in the movies is has been so extraordinary and so complex and so much depth and so much heartache and and drama at a Shakespearean level. So to take these two characters and throw them into the, you know, sitcom shenanigans, that was really sort of the delicious twist of, of this project for me. It seems like you all made the most of sitcom shenanigans. <laughs> the show has a unique sitcom style that spans decades. So what kind of you know, creative opportunities to that format give you? Well, for me personally, I had never written a sitcom. So that was really a challenge. I mean, those, you know, the history of sitcoms, I mean, that that format is very tight, very theatrical. You know, you count the number of jokes on a page. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a very different animal. And it was, it was a little bit like speaking another, another language, especially with the period piece, um, the period aspect on top of it. What, what are some of your favorite sitcoms that you looked at for inspiration to try and learn that format? Well, so, you know, we looked at it by decade, of course. And so even in the writer's room, we, the way that I, I broke it out for our first day was Amelia and I, we, we put up art on the walls by decade. So we had, 
had, you know, four to five kind of comps of sitcoms each for each era, you know, Donna Reed and My Sons and Father Knows Best and that kind of thing. And then for the for the 60s sort of crossing over was Dick Van Dyke and Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. And for the 70s, it was um, Brady Bunch, Partridge Family, Mary Tyler Moore Show, Rhoda. And then 80s was just a bonanza because that's my zone. That's you know, growing pains and family ties and wonder years and on from there. We papered the room with all of these familiar faces, familiar fonts, familiar visuals, familiar color palettes so that we could, you know, draw inspiration from there. And then how did you go about unifying that into something that still felt like all the same show? That was the challenge. That was, that was, that was everything. The way that I went about creating a framework for the show is it was really the concept of grief. Um, and my initial pitch, I mapped the series to the stages of grief and that this entire event of this show of the series was about one woman processing the pain of losing both her soulmate and all of the losses in her past beyond that. And so that through line was was the foundation that I used to kind of to navigate our way through through the eras. And then it was sort of it was world building from there. But it was all about her attachment to vision and her desperate desire to create a safe space for the two of them. That's really gorgeous and uh, is actually what I was hoping this series would be because, you know, as comic fans will know, that's an important part of Wanda's experiences, even in the comics. Did you have other specific Scarlet Witch or Vision stories that kind of influenced what you all were doing, even though you're doing a very different version of the grief story in this than we saw in the comic. Were there comics that specifically stuck with you? We had a lot of the comics in the room. We had big, big binders of them. We put the art up all over the room. I think very obviously, and a lot of the fans have called this out, House of M Mm -hmm. um, is is an influence, not directly, obviously, because in none of the comics is there a 1950s sitcom, but the idea that Wanda's grief plus Wanda's enormous power can cause a fracture in the world and in her. And also, you know, in the House of M, the sort of, for Wanda, just the incredible cruelty of her having to relive her grief um, Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And I think you know, that's a big piece of the end of Infinity War. It, it feels like for, for the character of Wanda in the comics and, and in the MCU, it's like she, it's not enough that she has to endure tragedy. She, she's sort of forced to relive things all the time. And I also think, you know, it's a little bit of like, she is so powerful and her grief is so enormous. Like everything is kind of outsized with her. So yeah, so House of M and then, you know, the Tom King run about Vision, Wanda's not in that one, but that, you know, the aesthetic of the synthesoid family in the suburbs. You know, we had some of those images up, like, uh, you know, obviously that that sparked a lot for us. The early, I can't remember what the run is called or who the artists are, but the the early Wanda and Vision series in the, in the 50s, you know, when they have the kids, the neighbors aren't happy to have them around that run. And then The Witch's Road, as we sort of dug into the witch of it all and what it means to be a witch, that's what I have at the top of my head. But you're no stranger to writing for the MCU. So how did working on a television series in this universe compare to some of the work that you had done on the films? Yeah, when I when I got the job, I was so thrilled and then immediately so terrified because, uh, yeah, I hadn't done a TV show before, but neither had Marvel Studios. So I think 
everyone on the Marvel side and and me as well, we, we all were approaching it as an enormous movie. It's for Disney Plus. It's a TV show, but it is at the scale of the MCU. There's no compromise here. It needs to be as big, as exciting, as dazzling, as satisfying for the fans. So in that way, it, it made sense to me because I had worked on other enormous features, and it was just the you know the idea was okay. Well, this is this is like that, just bigger and and more in depth. But then you know the challenge of breaking up the episode, what goes uh, the episodes, you know what goes where, and 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 the 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 actual like craft of designing an episode that was largely why we brought a room together and so i i assembled a team of people with an incredible amount of experience in television and i looked to them to help me figure those things out you know i was very lucky with their talent and we were able to do it together that's awesome so do you have particular advice that you'd give to aspiring screenwriters, aspiring TV writers, people looking to do a little bit of both? Yeah. I mean, the thing that I always say to writers is that the most important thing is that you write your own voice. Everybody's looking for something special and fresh and different and authentic and moving. And I think the the quickest way to that result is to write from your heart from your mind, you know, from your, your sort of your own mouth. And that's not to say you can't write things that, that you haven't experienced yourself or that you can't write worlds or cultures that, that aren't your own, but the immediacy of, especially when you're starting out. I mean, I think that with writing, especially one of, one of the, I I tell this to writers as well. I, I feel like it's a tricky field because for the majority of writers, it does require an amount of life experience in order mm-hmm. to do it well. There are certainly writers who like come out of the box just incredible, like from the very beginning. I admire those people. I am not one of those people. It took me a while to get to my zone. So for young writers who are finding their way, I always say, you know, start start with yourself. Start with start with the true inner voice that you have. Try and get it on the page and sort of rules be damned, I think. That helps explain why you're such a good fit for the Marvel Universe, because so much of the Marvel style of storytelling has always been about finding those core truths of life experience in these fantastical characters. As you said, you know, as powerful as Wanda is, that this is very much a story about grief and being able to find that uh, I think makes you a very good fit for this material. So I'm really excited to see what you guys did with this. Thank you. Is there anything else about the show that you are particularly excited for people to see? I know you don't want to spoil anything, but do you do you want to give us a little taste of what we should specifically be looking out for? Oh my gosh. Everything that's coming to mind is our spoilers. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that there's, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of focus on Wanda um, in the press, in the speculation. And I feel very attached to Vision's arc. I love both Lizzie and Paul and working with the two of them was, you know, one of the most fruitful experiences of my career. And, and Paul was so game for both the comedy and the heart of it. And I think that what's come out in the trailers and a lot of what's being you know discussed online, the focus isn't on vision. And I, I think there's a lot there. I think people are going to feel very tied to him, very tied to what he experiences in this series. Because as the title suggests to us, this really is a two-hander from that perspective Absolutely. of both 
both characters yeah. getting equal weight. That's that's really mm-hmm. exciting. So uh, we talked about this being, you know, a two-hander, as the title suggests, Wanda, Vision. But are there any other characters in this? Understanding that people may only have seen the first episode at this point, are there other characters that you're excited for people to keep an eye out for or that you particularly enjoyed bringing into the show? The character of Jimmy, played by Randall Park, is... He's, he's a boy scout in the best way. And um, I, I adore Randall. Um, and it was really, it was just a lot of fun to write for him. And then of course there's Kat. Nobody can resist Kat. That woman is, is comedy incarnate. And she reprises her role as Darcy. I think it's been something like seven years since her last um, appearance in the MCU. And a lot has changed for Darcy. And I'm excited for everyone to see her. She's just fantastic. That's great. That's very exciting. So do you have a favorite moment from episode one that, you know, you want to share with people? Can I share more than one? Sure. The moment where um, Mr. Hart chokes is that that sort of sequence at the table is probably my favorite moment, just because I, I so remember the moment in the room when I thought of it. Our, our goal with the pilot episode was to lull the audience into into this 1950s sitcom to sort of not you know the mm-hmm. you know the jig won't be up until it's up and we you know the idea that they would sit down to dinner and we would think you know you're used to a certain rhythm in a sitcom and so we knew that we were going to break it and so the idea of him suddenly choking which is a very small thing and it's especially small inside of you know an MCU project but in the world of a sitcom it's a huge violation you know people don't choke and they certainly don't die Mm -hmm. at the dinner table on a sitcom so it was just I remember sort of the the sort of lightning bolt moment of of coming up with that and then and then in writing the the pilot writing the script you know I knew that 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 would be the moment that we break the sort of multi-cam aesthetic that we would move in on the action and so I it was with the pilot that I came up with a sort of a visual language on the page to convey when we're when we're sort of in the sitcom mode and when when we break that so it just you know and then the performers on the day and the way that Matt shot it and Jess how you know Jess Hall the cinematographer how how beautiful it looks in that very classic Twilight Zone style I just it's just it's it's rare when an idea just makes it to the screen in a way that is sort of even better than you imagined it um and so it's a creepy moment to choose as my favorite but uh I'll choose that and then I would say on the comedic side I do love it in the second act when the, the lights flip on and Wanda's in her ne- negligee and Paul is so funny with the sort of comedy of what are you doing and all that sort of the, the reveal of the misunderstanding I, I find really kind of charming and adorable. Well, one creepy moment, one hilarious moment seems like a good mix for what the show is. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Last question. Did you have a favorite era you mentioned that the 80s was kind of your jam but in terms of how the episodes actually turned out did you have a favorite era to work in there's like you know my personal favorite era like in terms of my own nostalgia which is the 80s I think my like my esteem as a writer my admiration I think it's the 60s really it's the sort of Dick Van Dyke moment but in terms of how our episodes turned out for me it's it's episode three it's the Brady Bunch episode Megan McDonald's episode is it really it really came together it's really terrific and I think that I think that Paul and Lizzie and Tiana and Catherine 
I think they also just those the wardrobe is so great. They really loved it. And you can kind of feel their their joy in that episode. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and come back anytime. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. What an amazing interview. I really love talking to her. And as promised, we have plenty more up our sleeves for this episode. So up next, we're going from the writer's room to center stage with the woman who plays Wanda Maximoff herself, Elizabeth Olsen. Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast. You have been playing Wanda for several years now. What was it like to get to spend this much time with her, I guess, in a TV series? It was such a great experience from the very beginning to the very end. I I feel I feel like I've I've always really loved telling I love being a part of these ensemble films. I love being a part of the Avengers because I really do like as an actor trying to find which piece of the puzzle you're serving and kind of like staying in your lane and being a part of this larger idea or story. And usually Wanda would fulfill with the exception kind of of Ultron, this kind this kind of like grounded, um, emotional, empathetic um, like level to the mm-hmm. films. And so it was really nice to get to be part of the humor, be a part of, you know, mystery, be a part of like, just get, it was just nice to get to play all the different colors that these films normally bring and get to participate in all of those colors. So by doing that, it allowed me to explore her in different ways and really fun ways and it was a constant challenge as an actor as well because you're trying to hold on to this thread while remembering the constraints of the show itself and um and always trying to kind of it's I mean with the show it's clearly that we're in this constraint of a sitcom and to try and find the humanity even within that and how to break through and um it was a really fun time. I really, I really feel lucky I got to have the time with her to do it. In terms of the sitcom aspect of it, did you have favorite sitcoms growing up that were influences on this? Like I must have. Like I can't really think of too many. I think I really loved Will and Grace when I was younger. I obviously watched a lot of Full House because it was around me a lot. And then I loved um, like the Torkelsons, which was a very specific show that not a lot of people I'm sure remember. And I love Step by Step. Those I remember that of, one, yeah. But those were kind of, I think, my my era of like early, early nineties. Mine as well. (laughs) And how did you enjoy getting to bring kind of your comedy chops into this? You mentioned this a little bit in your previous answer, you know, without getting into spoilers, did you have favorite bits or favorite things that you got to play in this that were new to you? Yes. I mean, first off getting to like swing for the fences as an actor is really fun because you're constantly trying to, especially in Marvel movies, you're really, as much as the stakes are so high, you try and ground it as much as you can because so many things are just like kind of wild and not of this earth. (laughs) And so to get to really play for like such high comedic stakes and to, you know, make funny 
faces or expressions or do things that are over the top for the humor is something that I, I don't always have the freedom to do because of the types of projects I, projects I'm a part of. And um, it was really fun to live in this kind of comedy sitcom thing. And I loved all of the decades. I loved us doing like Malcolm in the Middle as much as I loved the Brady Bunch 70s or the modern family. Like I, I loved... I loved being able to adjust her and the character based on like where she is emotionally in our thread. And I loved being able to use whatever that tone was of that era to serve the story. And it was just, it was so bizarre and fun. Like it was just such a strange thing I'll never be able to get to do again. Speaking of traveling to the eras, that also means you got to have these fabulous costumes from yeah. all of the different eras. Did you have a favorite one of a favorite style that you got to be costumed in for this? I think the 70s was fun because I just find something so funny to be pregnant and just having these like short dresses and little legs. Like I just think <laughs> that's just such a silly uh it was such a silly look. And so I thought that was really fun. And then the eighties, I think is just fun because it's partially this time that I grew up in and I mean, kind of the nineties, but like it bleeds in pretty well. And then I really loved my, my classic Scarlet Witch costume that felt so right to get to, to get to do that. And I don't know in what other context we could have had her in that suit. So it was really, that was really specifically a joy. <laughs> so you mentioned that Wanda is pregnant in this yeah. series and she goes on to have twins. So how does Wanda as a twin feel about being a mother to twins? I think it brings up a lot of her own like emotional life and history and kind of like this thread of grief in her life with like joy and celebration and um it makes her a little bit nostalgic you talked about wanda as being part of a piece of a puzzle in terms of the great tapestry of all of these characters in the marvel universe so in addition of course to vision who you've gotten to spend a lot of time acting opposite Paul, but uh, you also have two new characters that we see Wanda Bond with in these, this series, uh, Geraldine and Agnes. So what did those friendships kind of bring to Wanda and what were you able to explore with her through having these two female friends? I mean, they're both alliances uh, for her. Um, she has now a community and has people that she feels she can rely on in both of them. I mean, it, it definitely, especially because it's a sitcom, there's very gender specific community experiences. And so they create her comfort and her allies and her friends in those scenarios. And so, yeah, I think that's that's what I'll say about that. What do you think Wanda was best suited to in domestic life? Cleaning. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. She doesn't have to do much. Um, she's a terrible cook, but I think in her domestic life, she's she's great at cleaning and taking care of her kids. Not in like a very, not like a female gender specific role kind of thing, but I do think there's something funny about her being able to clean with a finger. 
Yeah. Very, very <laughs> throwback to bewitched kind of, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So what are you most excited for people to see in this series when it's out? I think it's a ride. And I think what people, what I, what I hope for people to get from it is a, like just kind of this surrender to the ride that we go on and it's not going to be, um, you know, your, what we're, what we've kind of been trained to watch. And yet at the same time, it feels a hundred percent Marvel through and through and is rich with Easter eggs and it's rich with just clues throughout. And I hope people enjoy getting to discover and dive in and because it's there's two different people who are going to be watching this people who like kind of see marvel things and might be intrigued by the um generally speaking there's a lot of different types of people but people who like know the world and people who don't really know the world and the people who don't really know the world i think are going to be taken on this like journey of a show they've never seen before and i think the people who do know marvel are going to be taking on a on like an easter egg hunt scavenger hunt journey. And so I just, and so I think both are going to be fun experiences for the audience. And I, it's just a, it's a ride and I hope everyone just kind of allows it to unravel for them. And those are the best kind of shows, the ones that can really work on both of those levels. Yeah, I hope so. Did you have much familiarity with Marvel before you started playing Wanda? No, not really. I mean, just, just, um, just Iron Man. And Avengers had just come out, I think, when I had my first meeting. So those, I think it was Iron Man and, and, and Avengers. And I loved Iron Man. And that was really it. And then the Spider-Man movies that I grew up with, you know, not Marvel cinematic, not MCU, the way Kevin Feige has run it, but that's still Marvel. And so just those kind of X-Men, those kinds of pieces I knew just from the film, but not from the comics. Do you have a favorite Marvel hero other than Wanda? That's a great question. I think I've really, still my connection to them, if they're not Marvel, if they're not Wanda comics, because the only comics that I have read are (laughs) centered around her. Um, But from the films, I think that I really have enjoyed Valkyrie. And I think there's something that Tessa does so well and that brings a lot of humor and fun and playfulness to the world with that kind of attitude. And so I've, I've enjoyed watching Valkyrie and I'm curious to see where they continue on. And do you have a favorite Wanda story from the comics that you have read of hers? From the very beginning and the thing that rips my heart out always is um, House of M. Her, I mean, this, I'm not, this is specific to the comic, her being with Doctor Strange and him kind of trying to take care of her and not really understand what's going on. And then they bring in Hawkeye and um, he has to let her know and her brother. And then just the whole like pain and heartache is so powerful. And then the other ones I've, I've liked are like her when she's kind of on her own solo doing mm-hmm. her witchcraft in the world, which is row, I think is what it's called. But um, I've, I've loved those stories as well because I think I specifically love the art also in those stories. Is there anything about Wanda's relationship to witchcraft that you really enjoyed exploring in this series? I don't know if she does. Okay. Or to her magic. Yeah with her magic sure with her magic. I think what's always fun about playing her is her powers always surprise her before she realizes how to control them. 
I mean, I think that's a lot of superheroes as well, but hers is very specific to emo- like her emotional life and how they're released. And so I think that is the understanding of, of her abilities in a deeper way in this show is what was interesting when it, when it came to um, a different experience of how she was understanding her powers. And then you said you enjoyed all of the time periods, but for our last question, I will ask for a tease of what episode are you most excited for people to see? Do you have a favorite? I think four is really exciting because it's quite a change for the audience's experience. And I think nine for the same reason. It's they, they kind of are like these episodes that go against the rules. And I, I, I think that's what makes them fun story-wise. Very cool. Wow, she is such a good interview. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to chat with Elizabeth a few years ago on the podcast, so it's so magical to have her join the Women of Marvel again. Speaking of magic, I got to chat with the woman who plays Wanda's super nosy neighbor, who is definitely not magical, certainly not magical. We recorded this before the show launched, so I had no idea how very magical Agnes was all along, let's say. She is, of course, played by the one and only Catherine Hahn. I love that there's a Women yeah. of Marvel podcast. That's so cool. And you're on it. Welcome to Women of Marvel. So tickled. This is really moving. I'm very excited. Such you know, incredible women in this world, turns out. <laughs> there are. And you're now one of them. So since you are now officially a woman of Marvel, what has it been like infusing your brand of comedy into the MCU? Oh, this whole thing unfolded for me in such a way. I- I'm still so tickled by it that that I, you know, I always thought it would be such a, a blast to be involved in this world in some way as a mom and, and just as a fan of all of the actors, like the incredible talent that the MCU has always seems to be able to attract like so many incredible performers. When I went in to sit down for this one with Jack, the writer and Matt, the director and Mary Lovanos, our producer, and they told me that it was going to involve Lizzie and Paul, two actors who I so admire and whose storyline I love and always stuck in, in all of the noise and mayhem and you know huge set pieces of those big beautiful movies like their chemistry carried such power it's amazing how like a connections could carry as much strength and power as all the technology available you know what i mean so that mm-hmm. that was really attractive to me to be able, that this was going to to drill down into those two and that kevin and the mcu was going to take such a huge risk with this and a huge leap with this show into such another like genre busting chapter I was so thrilled to join it so the fact that it's Marvel A and that B it happens to be in this show I just I couldn't have dreamt a more dreamy part like I I just it's so dreamy in terms of the comedy I think what was so fun for all of us was to see because we started in the 50s and go all the way up to the present time was to see how our what we find funny has shifted and how we find it funny has shifted and what like what how a jokes land or how like you know it was very important to all of us that we not and especially and this is so much props to Matt our incredible director is that it wasn't a parody or a satire that we get inside of it so 
for example, in the 50s, like I'll, I'll just say like the gender roles aside, which are so tricky and complicated. And I'm so glad we're past all that. But there was there was such a charm in the the lack of cynicism in that kind mm-hmm. of comedy where I feel like we're so cynical now and there's so much, you know, it's easy to just make fun of something. And there was something about it that felt so fresh. And to know that underneath it was, of course, this churning, roiling pressure of something else. It was so fun to to play. So do you have a particular favorite era of sitcoms or particular ones that you drew on for inspiration? Uh, well, for every for every decade, there were some real life, I think, counterparts that we would draw inspiration from. So for example, like the 50s was Dick Van Dyke and then the 60s was Bewitched and then onward and onward, Brady Bunch. Those I think were definitely cultural touchstones for us that gave us a visual and perception kind of map to kind of lead us through. So let's talk about Agnes. While she can be a bit nosy, she is a great friend and mentor to Wanda, helping her acclimate to Westview living. What do you think made Wanda warm to Agnes as a friend? I feel like Agnes legitimately wants to help her with the rules of this new town and wants to help her figure out like the, you know, ins and outs of like, and is really on her side. Like she's looking out and she wants, and I think that when you're new to town, it's always great to have somebody that is welcoming, you know, that's like just a a lovely thing. And so I think that I just happened to be her first friend when I walked to town. And I also like, you know, I can kind of cut through all the stuff in the town. You know, there's a lot of like social dynamics and yada yada and clicks and whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking out. What are you most excited for viewers to see about Agnes's journey? Oh, I mean, I guess besides the fabulous costumes and the uh, fabulous, fabulous wig through the eras, I think it would just be like this to see this, you know, how this relationship grows. Speaking of the fabulous costumes, did you have a favorite? Yeah, I mean, I think the 50s was the most, was so fun just because it was so far removed from like the, from my life. Like, so that's always the most, that's really fun. But I I would say the 80s was pretty fabulous. So what one word would you use to describe Agnes to viewers? I would say that Agnes is helpful. All right. That sounds like a good one. And charming. (laughs) I don't doubt it. And chic. Fabulous. All of the things we aspire to be. Yes, exactly. So what is your favorite part about being a woman of Marvel now? I mean, it's, uh, I'm still like out of body about all of it. It's, I just know in this experience, I don't know, this experience was so special and so dear to me. In my career, I could never have thought that this was in my cards. And being able to work with Lizzie and this group, Matt and everyone over this chapter of time, I, I will hold this one very dear to my heart for so many reasons. I love this group of people. And that it happens to also just happens to also be an MCU show is just icing on the cake for me. I just I just love this experience so much. What did you find most interesting about Wanda and Agnes's friendship and getting to play this kind of friendship between these two female characters? You know, it's funny and very meta because I I had played definitely the best friend in so many movies at the beginning of my career. I know that those shoes really well. Like I've just I've played the the I've played that part a lot 
And so mm-hmm. I know those, I know what just script wise and structurally and formula wise, like what that role fulfills in something. And um, to see, I think in this particular relationship, like I love their friendship. Like I, I really do. Was there anything that struck you as particularly unique about getting to play this particular best friend character, having played so many? Yeah, the uniqueness was definitely being able to go through all of those decades as the same person was, and to, to kind of like shift with the norms of the, and the like, what is considered funny or not, like to be able to like shift culturally with that person through the, de- but yet remain the same through the decades was also just a total acting turn on, you know, for sure. And to be alongside that goddess of of Lizzie. So, I mean, yeah, it was the best. Well, that's awesome. I'm very excited to see it. And thank you very much for talking to us today at Women of Marvel. Thank you for the sweet welcome. I won't forget it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. It must have been so much fun to talk to Catherine and go behind the scenes with her, specifically when you didn't know how magical she was going to be. I know, right? I now have so many more questions, including what is it like to sing your own theme song? Because we all need to know. I think we all have many questions, but (laughs) we do have one more interview. So last but not least, we have a really amazing conversation lined up with the woman who plays Monica Rambeau on Marvel Studios' WandaVision, Tiana Paris. Our very own Angelique Rocher got to speak with Tiana about stepping into the spotlight as Monica. And I'm going to be honest, I think Angelique may have been so excited about this that it launched her into space. And that's why she's not here with us today. But uh, let's take a listen and maybe we'll be able to judge for ourselves. I gotta know. How excited are you for fans to discover Monica, the decorated astronaut, yes, May Jemison vibes, and member of S.W.O.R.D.? Just being able, like, she, she's an astronaut. Like, just even thinking she's about- She's a whole astronaut. A whole astronaut. When you think of Akira's Monica as a young girl and just what her aspirations were as a young Monica and, like, to see it come- you know, full circle and like, oh, wow, that little girl was able to accomplish aspects of her dreams and even things she didn't even know, you know? And um, and then that whole, the thing of like following the footsteps of her mom, who's a, a pilot and what that means. And that's been really, really exciting. And um, yeah, and she's a part of S.W.O.R.D. And you know, her mother was um, um, director of S.W.O.R.D. for some time. And we find that out and that it's all really exciting. And they've done so like so much. They've put so much effort into really um, giving Monica a very rich history and texture within this MCU space. And I'm, I'm really excited that it's getting to kick off like with the bang, you know. <laughs> oh, I love it. And speaking of S.W.O.R.D., Carol Danvers, best friend and Monica's mom, which we just mentioned, Maria Rambo, who we last saw in Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel, is, as you said, the co-founded sword. What does it mean for you, particularly in this this creation of this mother-daughter relationship, for Monica to be able to follow in Maria's footsteps? I think that's 
one of the main driving forces for Monica in WandaVision, living up to her mother's very high standards. And, and as you know, as we see, she loses her mom and she herself is going through her grieving process. And I, I, I also think that's a lot of what Monica connects with connects with Wanda on is just understanding that grief and what it means to to love and to lose and so that's definitely a driving force for Monica making her mom proud and and honoring her mom in ways that um you know sometimes I think that's just such a big endeavor that you can also get buried in that attempt you know like trying to live up to someone's standards and they're not even there to tell you yes or no so it's like you just keep driving forward to this maybe seemingly unattainable thing and and I think we see that happen for Monica and her have to reconfigure and decide how she wants to move forward and what's a healthy way to do so so this cast is absolutely amazing, right? Like I've had a chance to talk to you and Lizzie and Paul. And, and most importantly, you, you've got new faces and established faces, including, you know, the coming back of Agent Jimmy Woo and Darcy Lewis, who are also trying to understand this anomaly with Monica. You know, honestly, I, I love them both. They both have had really interesting MCU careers, especially with their characters' arcs. What was it like working with Randall Park and Kat Dennings? They are amazing. They are such generous human beings. And we just had so much fun. Our little trio hanging out. And then uh, it also helped that our characters have a common disregard for Hayward, the director of Soren. And, um, you know, so even in character, we got to be, you know, a little group. And, and when the cameras weren't running, we just had a lot of fun. All right, so going back to Geraldine in Westview, which is how we first meet you, you know, what has it been like juggling two characters, one in the sitcom world navigating Westview and being friends with Wanda, and the MCU world of Monica Rambeau, and how did you approach each one of those characters? Yeah, so for Monica Rambeau in the MCU world, like I said, I, I looked at Captain Marvel and in the comic books and and had very, lots of conversations with our creatives and what exactly do we, you know, what is the story we're trying to tell and who is this woman years later? And for Geraldine, that was a whole other set of research, just figuring out you know, how does a woman behave in these spaces and what are the technical aspects of the sitcom for each era because it changes. Like, you know, in, so, in the 50s, you have the live audience and that is a whole other character. In the 60s and you, you in the 70s, you introduce the laugh track and having to figure out, oh, I, I have to pause after I say this to give space for the, the laugh track, that sort of thing. That was a, a fun challenge in creating this these two very distinct characters. I'm so excited. Congratulations again. I can't wait for folks to see you bring Monica to life. And yeah, thank you so much. 
So many magical interviews with one episode. I think I might need to take a nap. Same, but what am I going to watch when I wake up at 3 a.m.? You could just rewatch it again. I, I could, I could, and maybe that's what I'll have to do while we wait for Falcon and Winter Soldier. I can't believe that we got to speak with all of these amazing women. I'm still overwhelmed. Yeah, and if you haven't caught up with Marvel Studios WandaVision or you want to rewatch it, all episodes are streaming now on Disney Plus. It is so worth it. I bet that it would be so much fun to go back and rewatch it now after hearing all of the theories and knowing what's going to happen. And I'm sure there are Easter eggs and clues that we all missed throughout the whole process. Yeah, especially seeing all the fan interaction online. I think this is such a unique experience because. Because, you know, you had the ability to go see a film in the theater and then like you wouldn't be able to like react in the moment until you got. I mean, I guess you could get your phone out, but everyone would hate you in the theater. But like now you could be watching it, pause it, go online, check out what was happening, check what fans were doing, especially at a time where I think we all needed something like this to connect with while in our living rooms when we haven't seen humans in a bit. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I would be getting texts, you know, seeing everybody's posts. And whether you know nothing about Marvel, because I did watch some of these episodes with my parents who know as much as I have told them or made them watch. And, you know, they were still able to enjoy it. They were still getting sucked into it to the point where I then caught them watching it without me. So I think that this show's a lot of fun also with rewarding stuff, of course, for people who are so steeped in Marvel that the moment a certain character made his entrance, we all lost our minds. <laughs> no spoilers! Didn't we just ask for no spoilers? That is not a spoiler! That is not a spoiler! <laughs> There's so many things you could fill into that gap and the internet has and will. <laughs> Yes. If you enjoyed today's lightning round of interviews, please let us know. You can tweet at us at Marvel using the hashtag Women of Marvel. Plus, you can email us at womenof at marvel.com. We certainly love hearing from all of you. And before we close out today, we wanted to thank you all for listening. Having this community of listeners really brings us joy. You all are my favorite part of the internet. Agreed. We'll check you guys next time. This is Marvel. Your universe. Women of Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Rebecca Seidel, M.R. Daniel, and Zachary Goldberg, along with Judy Stevens, Angelique Rocher, and me, Ellie Pyle. Our development manager is Brad Barton, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio. Special thanks to all of the women who joined us on today's episode. Jack Schaefer, Elizabeth Olsen, Katherine Hahn, and Tiana Paris. 